What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris, and as usual, I'm super appreciative of you joining me here today. Hey, folks, one of the things that Jamie and I talk about here on Gravity, in fact, it's the main thing that we talk about is we believe it's the relationships, the experiences, and the values that helps us identify our foundations and maintain perspective in a world full of noise and chaos. And we've already had the opportunity to share some of our story with our experience and some of the people that have impacted us. Today, I get the opportunity to interview one of those people that had a huge impact on my life. Professor Debbie Pope, at the time, Northwest College over in Kirkland, Washington, was both my English and my speech professor, and the impact she had on my life I don't know if that I can fully put it into words. Before we get into that interview, though, we want to acknowledge our sponsor. The sponsor of the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity podcast is Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to helping the veterans uh, from America that are returning with war-related PTSD and other disabilities. I don't know if you're aware of this, folks, but the statistics say that roughly 24 veterans are committing suicide every day, and that is not okay with me. Service Peace Warriors is dedicated to training dogs, getting them in the hands of veterans to help them with their PTSD. This is not a cheap operation. It costs tens of thousands of dollars to purchase a dog, to train the dog, to train the veteran, to provide housing for the veteran while they're in town getting the training with their service animal. And Service Peace Warriors does this at zero dollars to the veteran. Uh, They apply for grants. They have donations. Uh, They actually started their own dog dog training academy, Maddox Dog Training Academy. And they take the proceeds from that to fund Service Peace Warriors. And also, they've taken it a step further. They're using Maddox Dog Training Academy to raise money to also equip first responders. Yes, our firefighters, paramedics, and police with service animals when they're struggling with PTSD. Folks, you've got to check out Service Peace Warriors. Servicepeacewarriors.org. Check them out today. Learn how you can partner with them and support them as they support our veterans. You could actually start financially helping them out and it wouldn't cost you a penny. Google search Amazon Smile and you'll figure out how you can link your Amazon account Two Service Peace Warriors, and every purchase you make on Amazon, Amazon will send a few pennies to Service Peace Warriors. Uh, hey, with that, we're going to be jumping over to this interview with Miss Pope, as I affectionately call her. I don't know if I can get out of that. I'm a 43-year-old man, and I'm still calling one of my college professors Miss Pope. I have an enormous amount of respect for this woman, her passion for life and for teaching. Folks, uh, enjoy. Enjoy. Uh, this interview because uh, it was a gift for me and I think it's going to be a gift for you. Let's jump over and check out my interview with Ms. Pope. So as I remember it, it was the fall of 1997 and a young 18-year-old boy is jumping in his uh, his Toyota pickup truck with no air conditioning and driving to Northwest College. Now, when I got there, when I got there, I did something that could have been one of the largest freshman mistakes of any, t- of any person of any time, I signed up for two classes with the same professor, English 101 and speech. One met Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The other one met Tuesday, Thursday. Now, whoever this Debbie Pope gal was, yeah, oh, wow, wow, this could be bad. 
and it didn't go bad at all. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, Miss Pope. And I, I, I was trying to not call you Miss Pope. Like throughout the morning as I was getting ready for this, I'm like, just call her Debbie. You're both adults. You're grown adults. I don't know if I can. Yeah. Um, what I remember, and, and, and then I'm going to turn it over to you for just a little bit, uh, is um, the passion, the passion that you brought to instruction. I remember you dressing up in outfits. Uh, I thought I remembered you running yourself into walls. Now, as I trolled your Facebook this morning, maybe I remembered you telling a story from Bethany College, but I thought I remember you running yourself into walls for for very intentional effect, not for the heck of it, not because you were going crazy or anything like that, <laughs> but, but because you were trying to connect with us as students. Um, first of all, thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if I was supposed to respond yet. Well, thank you for. Yeah. <laughs> for, for and yes, I, I, there was intention in running into the walls. Yes, and yes, I did it. But so, so did Professor Bethany. So. Yeah, I saw Doctor. Was it Doctor Bobo? Doctor Truett Edsel Bobo. Yes. And what was his? What was his reason behind it? Let's start with Doctor Bobo. He was a theology professor at Bethany Bible College, and I'd taken several theology classes with him. Uh, when I got to this particular day, and he was fabulous. But this class took place, it was like in the afternoon, I don't know, about one thirty, And so it's fairly late. And it was a beautiful uh, April day. And the sun is streaming in through the windows and the smell of the redwoods. And I just had lunch. And as fascinating as Dr. Bobo was, I was getting sleepy. And I'm like nodding off. And we were in this big gigantic wide classroom and all of a sudden I mean I was startled awake because Dr. Bobo had taken off running full force headed towards the wall <laughs> and as, as we watch him he hits the wall he falls back his glasses fall off and he's just lying there and my friend Dean Wells was sitting next to me and he's just staring at Dr. Bobo everybody's staring there's silence so I leaned over and I said Dean what is he doing and Dean, without taking his eyes off Dr. Bobo, he said, he's demonstrating the nature of reality. <laughs> and you talk about, you talk about, you know, a perfect lesson. I mean, now that I'm, you know, 40 years down the road. So anyway, I picked up my running into the wall in my speech class because of Dr. Bobo. So I, I owe it to Dr. Truett Edsel Bobo. <laughs> Amazing, amazing story. Did you already yeah. know that you wanted to teach at that point, or was this part of the the process in you dis discovering that you had a passion for teaching? Um, I knew I wanted to te teach one day in another theology class at Bethany Bible College. I had a young professor named Stan Stewart, and I, I just loved his classes. I took ethics from him, all other theology classes too, because he was he loved theology and. And you, you, I don't know if you know this. Oh, Karl Bart, <laughs> Karl Bart um, had a secretary who took down every word that he ever said, took notes and everything. Well, I was like that with Stan Stewart. I was taking down every note that Stan Stewart ever said. And one day I'm in the middle of scribbling down notes and I just looked up at him and I got hit by a bolt of lightning. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's having fun. This is his job. I had no idea how little they paid him, of course, but he's having a <laughs> job and, and he's having fun. And I thought, I want to be a teacher. And the reason why is because when I was growing up, I knew my parents hated going to work. 
My mom was the sales clerk at JCPenney's Women's Sportswear, and my dad was the carpenter for the Chattanooga City Schools. And I knew that they hated going to work. And I remember thinking when I was 12 years old, when I grow up, I don't want to hate going to work. And so when I realized that Stan Stewart loved his job, I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to be a teacher. And so, and also it's just, just because he was so in love with theology. I mean, he literally, I met the great theologians in his room. I met Karl Barth. I met Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I met Martin, Martin Luther. I met, you know, John Calvin because they came alive in Stan Stewart. And, you know, he just lit a fire in me. And this is going to sound corny. I know it's going to sound corny, but it's, I always thought to myself, I want to be, sounds corny. I want to be a candle lighter, you know. I want to be somebody that lights the flame and gets somebody, get, gets people so interested in a topic that then they go off and they learn more from other people, you know. So that's what I wanted to do. And well, I think well, let I'm me tell you this. <laughs> you, you, you lit a fire in me. I, I don't remember enjoying public speaking. I, I think I did it, um, but I was probably, I don't want to say reckless with it. I didn't know what I was doing. And yeah. I remember you pushed us. You really pushed us. And once again, from trolling Facebook this morning, I see you continuing to, to, to push students. Is it at Wheaton College where you're teaching yeah. now? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm teaching at Wheaton. I love uh, the the end of, I think it's maybe end of semester photos of the students where they're all dressed up, super nice. Now, yeah. it sounds like that's been a little bit of a challenge, helping kids understand something called boundaries. Is that what it's called, boundaries of what's appropriate to wear? Oh my gosh, tell me about it. <laughs> that's when I realized I'm a little bit older than I thought I was. Yeah, because um, what I've always, I think I've always done it even at Northwest or at one point I started doing it, requiring students to dress up for formal public presentation. And I haven't had a lot of difficulty with that. I mean, I would just, I mean, I say, this is a requirement. It's part of your grade. It's 10 points of your grade, which is a full letter grade. And it's like, okay. Uh, and then I've done that for years at Northwest and at Seattle Pacific. And then I got to Wheaton College. It's really interesting. Uh, styles have changed. Well, first of all, styles have changed. I mean, business casual, is, I mean, it's just change. But getting in uh, has been a little bit of a challenge. And so, so this semester, oh, I did something I've never done before. First of all, it's freezing here. It's just, it's, we're in the middle of winter. And it's, it's below freezing for so long. So my students at Wheaton are doing, they do three formal speeches because it's only an eight-week class. It's like half the, half the semester. And so... Uh, as much as it hurt, I said, okay, for the first two speeches, you don't have to dress up. But that said, if you do, you're going to do a lot better, okay? But the third, they've done the first two speeches, and a couple of them dressed up, you know, for you know, business casual. Most of them didn't, and I get it because I was cold too. But the, come, the next presentation is their big, it's the uh, persuasive speech, and it's the big one. And so they're required. And so what we did because if you saw, I don't know if you saw that part of my, I was complaining about it one day on my Facebook page. It's like, this is driving me nuts. And I got a lot of great feedback from people. So what we did at the beginning of this quad course is we just talked. I said, okay, when you say business casual, what does that mean to you? So we did some trolling around on Facebook, not Facebook, the internet, and came to an agreement. And, you know, so we'll see what happens. But interestingly, last fall, I was walking down the hallway at Wheaton in the science building. 
And the students all lined up. Apparently, it's a class they had prepared posters for like a poster presentation at a conference. <laughs> some of them were really dressed up and some weren't. And the other professor was walking down the line, basically explaining to them, this is appropriate. This is not appropriate. You know, when you're at a conference. So I thought, I'm not the only one out here. And some of my, of my speech students heard it, too. So that was good. So, yeah, that's really I remember you having this dress up. I absolutely remember wearing slacks and a dress shirt. I think I wore a vest because I had a vest uh, from from uh, my high school choir days. Hey, yeah. I've seen this in job applicants. When oh, yeah. we do initial interviews with them, I've seen job applicants show show up with a pair of soccer shoes on, and 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 wrinkly polo shirts. And yeah, and this is this is a suit and tie event. That's what it is. It really is, or at least a shirt and tie if you can't afford the the coat you know, to go over the top. And so I think it's important. I mean, here's, here's the deal call. You might disagree with me here. I don't know. I don't think education is about math, English and, and, and speech. I think it's about character development and we do it within the parameters of teaching these other skill sets so that not only do you have the character and the knowledge of how to go out and engage other human beings, but you also have the, the knowledge of that discipline as well. I don't yeah. know. It's a, Soapbox yeah. that I sometimes get on. Well, it's been interesting with you know with that particular issue because I had I had I had one student I, don't know if I, I forget now what she wore that day, but I you know I, you know I, I took off points where I said this is not this is not business casual this is not professional because I always stress I, th I say think corporate interview after college this is your dream job and you really want it and. And one of my students said something to me like, well, you know, I'm going to apply to Google and they dressed out. And I said, you don't have the job yet. <laughs> you, know, you don't have it yet. So when you yep. go in, you dress because you want the job. And then when they hire you, then you can wear your jeans and everything else. So I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm just getting older. But but, you know, one of them said, oh, I wear this. For a I, she said, I wore this to a job interview. I said, well, I wouldn't hire you. <laughs> and I wouldn't. Because when you when you cut when you don't come dressed professionally for a job interview, and I'm hiring and I'm the one hiring, you've made an impression immediately, and it's not a good one. And that's just the way it is. Yep. And sometimes people need to hear that. Sometimes people need to hear some of these tough love messages because you can either hear it from me, your college professor, or you're going to hear it from the job yeah. interview panel who yeah. just doesn't hire you or maybe doesn't even tell you, maybe just yeah. never calls you back. And you never know, you didn't get the job because you showed up with a cocktail dress on or a pair yeah. of jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> hey, something else I remember is your your passion for jazzercise. And if I, if I understand correctly, you're, you're going on 37 years now. I started in 1985 right here in downtown Glen Ellen. So you do the math there. I mean... For the most part, consistently, consistently, every now and then, you know, I'd skip like six months or so. And I've, I'm kind of on the dark end right now. My my niece got married in October. Yeah. And I was jazzercising great, you know, consistently up until then. And I've only done like a couple of times since then. But I'm getting ready to go back because I can I like only it. live without it for so long, you know. What what have you loved about jazzercise? I mean, for you to be sticking with this for almost 37 years, and that's that's big. Well, it's just the thing. I loved it. I love dancing. I just, I found the thing I love to do in terms of exercise. I tried jogging in college. I've tried going to the gym. That stuff is just not fun for me. But jazzercise was fun. 
it was just fun. It's dancing, it's jumping, it's hooping, it's hollering. It's the camaraderie of being in a room with everybody else who's doing the same thing. And I loved it and I stuck with it. And so I always tell people, you know, find, especially when you're young, and I wish I had found it when I was much younger. I, I turned, was I 30? I think I was 30 the year, 35. And I was 35 the year I discovered Josh. I don't know. It was 1985. I was 30. And so I, I always tell people, find something you love, preferably early, that you love doing, because if you don't love it, you won't stick with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I love it. I just love it. Hey. What did you love about Seattle? You were there for a number of years between Northwest University and then was it SPU, Seattle Pacific University, where you taught at, or was it a different? Yeah, I was at Northwest for 14 years and from, from 94, fall of 94 till end of 2008, May of 2008. But during that time, I was also teaching part-time at Seattle Pacific University. So for 12 of those 14 years, I was also at SPU. Wow. And then when I left Northwest, it's because SPU offered me, they asked me to join the faculty full-time. And so that's what I did. So, so what did, what, are you asking what I loved about SPU or Seattle? Uh, about Seattle as a whole, yeah. Oh, uh, what, when I first got there, what I loved about Seattle was the weather, of course. Growing up in the South, which I always hated the weather in the South, I hated summers. And so to get to Seattle, and I remember I got there in August of 94, about two weeks before school started. And I was living in Bellevue in an apartment complex. And I walked out into the uh, parking lot one day and the manager was there. And I said, oh, hey, how are you doing? She goes, good. She goes, if I survived this heat wave. And I started to laugh because I thought she was joking. It was 75 degrees <laughs> <laughs> and, and no humidity. So I love the weather. I just love the beauty of Seattle. You know, it's just I love those those Douglas firs and the mountains. Um, and I just... I even, the rain didn't bother me because I don't think it's as bad as people think it is. And you get used to it. The coffee tastes better anyway when it's raining. Um, I, in the end, I left Seattle because, uh, where do you live, Chris? I live on the east side of the state. So we're okay. geographically a desert, uh, Kennewick, Pasco, okay. Richland. Oh, yeah. Well, you, um, do you remember, um, you know, here's Kirkland, Bellevue, and then Factoria. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's like from Bellevue to Factoria. It was like 10 or 12 minutes it took an hour to get from one place to the other and i left because yeah. of the traffic and the cost yeah. of living it's just it's just insane yeah i saw you post recently of a, a an old neighbor friend of yours and it was 30 almost 3700 dollars a month for yeah. a townhouse to rent that is the townhouse there's six of them i lived in one of those for 10 years and when i moved into that townhouse the rent was nineteen hundred dollars when I left, it was twenty six hundred. I was paying twenty six hundred dollars a month in rent, and now it's right at thirty. Yes, it's insane. It's just people insane. can't afford that. People no. cannot afford to live. I so I lived over there I, yeah. uh, after or in the military. Lived in Tacoma for two years, yeah. and then post military, my wife and I lived up in uh, in Everett, so North Seattle, for a couple of years. I, I really loved a lot of things of the greater yeah. Seattle area, but. The, the biggest parking lot in America, which is I-5, I think, oh, yeah. uh, because that's what you do. You park and you wait. Yeah. And then just the, the cost of living, it was just, it was just yeah. horrendous. So and You keep thinking it can't get worse, but it does. So yeah. I don't know what the answer is for, for places like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I miss it a lot. I miss the Pacific Northwest. I miss Whidbey Island. I love Whidbey Island. I love Whidbey Island. And I miss the mountains. And I miss my friends because, you know, I was there for 24 years. 
but I, you know, there's just no way. There's just no way to do it. So now you're in uh, Illinois. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm in Glen, Illinois, right next door to Wheaton. Okay. And how long have you been there? I moved. Okay. So what happened is I left Seattle in uh, June of 2018. I moved home to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is my hometown. And I left because I, it it was cost of housing and I bought a brand new house, (laughs) a brand new house in a gorgeous subdivision in Chattanooga for like $330,000. It was 2,600 square feet, Chris. (laughs) You can't buy a a mailbox in Kirkland for 26, with that kind of money. And I went to, I was teaching on a one-year contract at Chattanooga State Community College. And then, um, uh, I was there, that was like for one full year. And then the second full year, COVID hit in at May of 2020. Everything goes upside down. Budgets are getting cut, everything. And I'm suddenly out of a job at the end of the year. And I, and I wasn't really happy being back in Tennessee. You know, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it is for political reasons. You know, after living on the West Coast, the bulk of my adult life, and then going back home to Tennessee was a culture shock. And I bet. when I look at it I now, bet. it was. When I look at it now, I have to think, what was I thinking? You know, it's just, what was I thinking? So anyway, when all this COVID and everything converged, I thought, I'm getting out of here. I didn't really, I didn't really want to stay. So I sold the house and I moved back to Glen Ellen. I lived here when I was in grad school at Wheaton College. And I have come back here for years at least once or twice a year to visit. I rented a room from a, a lady who's now 90, 93 years old. She lives five minutes away from me and my old housemate still lives there. And so um, I came back here, August of 2000, what is it, 20? And I was teaching online for SPU. I was still oh, wow. teaching uh, interpersonal communication and public speaking. And I did that all that first year. And then this past year, Wheaton, Wheaton contacted me over the summer, and I wound up teaching four, four public speaking classes, an English class, and then um, I'm teaching public speaking now, and I'll be teaching uh, public speaking in English for them again in the fall. And so Love it. I'm here in Illinois with my six, six cats and, and my dog. <laughs> no, my multiple cats, multiple cats. Yeah, anyway. I have four, so we're, we're in good okay, company. Okay, good. Well, I'm the, I had an all-time high of eight in Tennessee. And as they <laughs> you got were, up, yeah. That's official cat lady. That's yeah, official cat lady numbers. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how it happens. And as so, they die, I'm not replacing them. I swear I'm not. We we weren't cat. We weren't cat people, we thought. Yeah. Um, we thought Jamie was allergic. And uh, this was kind of, you know, from her childhood, she recalled, you know, having a lot of allergy reactions to cats. And then we moved into our current house that we, we actually bought this from my parents and it's an old uh, apple orchard. And so a lot of field mice problems. And oh, so yeah. we went out and got, uh, we, we had one cat. It was a rescue cat. He runs away within a year. My daughters are destroyed. Uh, and so we go out and get uh, some brothers from uh, someone we knew and they're man coons and they, I call them dog cats. They are oh, yeah. amazing. They, 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 they love us. They walk up, they want touched. They want us to hold them. They give us their belly. Um, and so we have now gotten three siblings yeah. uh, from the same person. So we had, we had, we've had a total of six from the same family. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, two of them have run away somewhere in the time. And so we, we have four left, but 
They're outdoor cats. And again, I mean, you keep using air quotes. I don't know whether that's needed or not, but it's pretty much saying that I don't actually make the rules in my house. My daughters do. And so they're outdoor cats. And that turned into, well, if you're holding them, you can have them inside. And then it got cold. It gets cold here in Eastern Washington. You know, we get into some negative uh, degree weather and we're not going to have our cats outside when it's you know freezing cold. I've, I've made an insulated house with a heating pad, but still when it gets yeah. that cold, it's just too cold. So yeah. uh, we just graduated them back outdoors. Now they are in every day, uh, but they're, they're once again, partially outdoor cats so they can catch those mice for us and, uh, yeah. and keep us from having mouse inside. My neighbor has the Maine Coon and I, I, I can't sit for her when she goes out of town. So those are they're huge animals. Yeah, no, they're, and I would say they're a little bit smaller. I don't know if they're a mix. They're, they're big cats, but they, they aren't quite as big as some other Maine Coons I've seen. I just yeah. love their temperament though. I mean, again, when oh, I call yeah. them a dog cat, it's because they, yeah. they act like people pleasers sometimes. And I, I've always been a little suspect that cats were just waiting for me to fall asleep long enough to where they could <laughs> eat because pretty much they're baby lions. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're baby lions. They're great. I love them. I'm with, I got two sleeping right over here. So, Hey, something else. And this is just more of why I love you. You took up pole dancing. Holy <laughs> smokes. Yeah. The, the speech teacher, English teacher, graduate of the Christ, Christian Bible college yeah. is a pole dancer. So tell me more about what went into this adventure. Oh my gosh. It was great. It's a, I love it. I had a student at Bellevue College, and she was just so much fun. She sat in the front row, English class, always, you know, had, you know, always had an opinion, really lively. One day she comes up to me and she said um, something like, you know, Professor Pope, I won't be here next Thursday because I've got to go to L.A. for a competition. And she's just, you know, and I'm thinking, well, she's being really nice telling me. So I'm just, I was just kind of, I said, oh, really? What kind? What kind of competition? And just right out, she goes, pole dancing. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, is money I mean, tight here at college? No. Yeah, and so, and she's going, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I start taking classes, and it's just so much fun. You should go, Professor Pope. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, I had my yearly physical, and they did a, one of those bone density tests that you got to do at a certain age because you're short. And so, came back, and my my doctor said to me, she said, you have a touch of us, us, us deal. Not osteoporosis, osteopenia in your spine. You need to take up more weight-bearing exercise. And I remember walking out of there thinking, well, we use weights at Jazzercise. What else can I do? And I, I came home, and I was checking through Facebook for some stuff. And I saw this photo, and it just stopped me in my tracks. It's the picture. The woman's name is Greta Pontarelli. She okay. was literally holding herself perpendicular on a pole. Okay? And I read her story. At the, I was at the time this happened. I was just about to turn sixty, and she said at the age of sixty she was diagnosed with a touch of osteopenia, osteopenia in her spine. So she took up pole dancing, and I just jumped up out of my seat and I said, "Yeah, if she can do it, so can I." So I, I call, I texted my student, and I got the name of the studio, and it's called Divine Movement in Kirkland. And I went, and it was hilarious because you go for like you go for like a forty minute, you know. Uh, introduction introductory class and they're teaching us all these different little things walking and I'm thinking I will never come back here this is ridiculous this is I am so out of my out of my comfort zone and this is not me and then at the end the instructor and she had another girl who was kind of like an instructor in training they did a, a dance for us and basically they are 30 feet up in the air 
and they are, it's aerial, they're aerial gymnasts. And I was just, I was hooked. And so I bought my first 10 class pack, you know, pole 101 <laughs> and I graduated. And then I, 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 so that was from 60. So I left when I was 60, 63, I guess, 64, I forget. So for three or four years, I took classes. And when I left Kirkland, I was, I had just gotten into advanced inversions. And so I've still got my pole, but I don't have a lot of room here. So I don't have it up yet, but it's great exercise. That's what I oh, love. Yeah. It's because the first time I tried to climb a pole, they teach you how to do it. You know, you got to hold it a certain way. And I had one leg up on the pole. When I brought up my left leg, I went, boom, you know, no upper body strength. I just hit the floor. And then you just, the thing is, you just gradually, you don't even realize it. You get stronger. And then the first time I shimmied up that pole, I just thought, yes, it's just so, you get so strong. I loved it. And I love dancing, you know. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Hey, uh, you have a love for coffee shops. I see you oftentimes you go plant and you got a cup of coffee right now. I see you plant yourself there when you're grading papers, when yeah. you're what, what is it? I, I love it too. What is it about the coffee shop feel that puts you in that right headspace? I cannot do work at home. There's always something else to do at home. There's, you know, some, and there's always something else. There's cats to take care of. There's a dog to walk. There's a closet that needs recleaning. You know, there's Facebook messages to answer. So trying to work at home does not work for me. But when I go to the coffee shop, I don't know. I just can. I, that's what I've always graded papers at a coffee shop because I can sit there and do it. I can shut out all the other noise. doesn't bother me. And I can focus. And also, as an English teacher, I mean, I've, I've, you know, teach English and speech. Grading papers home alone is the most depressing thing in the entire world. It makes me feel like I have no life whatsoever. But if I go to a coffee shop, I'm surrounded by other people, you know? Yes. <laughs> Even though I don't know them or talk to them. So I don't know. There's nothing. I don't know. I just like coffee shops. I like hanging out in coffee shops. I've always been that way. In grad school, when I was living here, and I was also, one year, I was ran out of money, so I was working full-time at Wheaton instead of going to school. I would go to this little restaurant called the, what's it called? Uh, I forget what it's called and it's still there anyway, but I would go there at six o'clock in the morning when it opened and I would always get coffee and a toasted pecan roll in the Chicago Tribune. And I, I'm, one thing I noticed is that early in the morning, it's only men in coffee shops. And oh, is it? Seriously. I thought, why? Even in, hmm. in Kirkland, I'll go to Starbucks, you know, the Houghton Starbucks. Yeah. It opened at five o'clock. I'd be in there. Only men. And then I finally realized, oh, it's because all the women are home taking care of kids. <laughs> But it was only men, but I've always been a coffee shop person. Coffee shop, yeah. newspaper. Yeah. Great just something about the sound. I mean, the sound of frothing milk and grinding coffee and the the, the beautiful aromas that are drifting around. And you have a, some yeah. side conversations going on, maybe a little bit of light music. And actually, all of that helps me focus. Yeah. All of that stuff happening in the background really helps me focus. Typically, yeah. I go there because I want to write um, yeah, typically I'm going there because I'm trying, trying to, to put together some kind of writing and Plus it's the just Houghton, the Houghton Starbucks down from the call from Northwest has a great fireplace too. You okay. can sit there and, and yep. Yep. You know, I remember the Houghton Starbucks. Yeah. I, I remember Houghton market. Uh, that was right down the street. Uh, I didn't remember the Starbucks, but I remember being there and I remember going with a group, uh, John, Jonathan Smith was one of the guys I was with and we're sitting there near that fire. Yeah. Talking about faith and life and B 
being freshmen in college and we're going to rule the world. And he had a sister there too. What was his sister's name? I had both of them in class. Jonathan, I don't remember his sister. My fr- I, I was only there a freshman year. Uh, and okay. then Jamie and I got married that sophomore year and we stayed okay. back here in the Tri-Cities and did community college. I do okay. remember his sister following up that next year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and John spelled his name J-O-N. I can see it. Yep. He wasn't J-O-N. I, I can see it. I can see his face in my head, in my mind's eye. Yeah. Yep. We were on the cross country team together. That was a really cool experience. Uh, do it running cross country and track dirt Northwest. Obviously. I mean, you know, all this super small college, very yeah. intimate Phil. Yeah. Um, and uh, just the, the memories I have. It's funny. Cause if people ask me where I went to college, typically I think Northwest, yeah. I went there my freshman year. I didn't graduate with my bachelor's or my master's from there. But yeah. if someone asks me where I went to college, that's yeah. what I think of. Cause that was my college experience. That was the rest of my college was night classes and yeah. online school and that kind of stuff. So it's really something about, um, you know, living on campus, being in a dorm as a freshman that marks you. And it's, I mean, you know, for some people, it's not a great experience, but for a lot of people it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was for me. Hey, are, you, are you reading anything right now? I love somewhere in the process of life and I can't point to just one person that, that gave me this gift for books. Uh, but uh, I, I ended up having an anxiety disorder about 12 years ago when I was uh, investigating child crimes. It was just really stuff that got to me. And um, and when I read, I mean, I could I can have a ton of stuff going on up here between the ears. I can be anxious. <laughs> if I lay down to read, probably within about five minutes, my heart rate has dropped and I'm just enjoying books. So it's, yeah. I love books. And I've seen you post different things on books you've read. Well, I just, for you know, I'm just reading for fun right now. And I have, I love mysteries. I love murder mysteries. And I've got this, I've discovered Louise Penny. She's a Canadian writer and she writes great stories with wonderful characters. And I just, I discovered her about a year ago, thanks to a friend in Tennessee. And I have just zipped through all of her books. And I just, she just, I just finished the most recent one. I love her characters because they're, they're just, the world that she creates is fun. It's just, and it's, it's great. So yeah. I'm not reading heavy duty stuff right now. I'm reading. I love Elizabeth George. I love Louise Penny. I mean, I just, I love I'm reading for fun. Yeah. That's a good spot to be right. I mean, sometimes yeah. we read cause we need to read, but sometimes yeah. it's just good for it to be fun. But I will say this. Have you ever read the once in future King by TH white? No, that's a great book. If you want a good book to read, that's what you, it's, it's all about. It's all about the King Arthur stories and it's, it's wonderful. The Once and Future King by T.H. White, one of my all-time favorite books. Yeah. Well, well, I'm going to pick it up then because if it's an all-time favorite, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's lovely. Hey, you posted recently about Bethany College and some processes and things they had happened where they eventually closed their doors, but then it's been opened back up. I didn't get too deep into that. Did I see that it's actually going to be like some kind of a rehabilitation center? Uh, not, re- not a rehabilitation center. Um, what happened is that I forget it's been 10 years, I guess. I think it's been 10 years since Bethany closed and um, they tried to sell the campus to, and I forget the name of the organization, but it was a, it was either from, I think it was either from China or Taiwan or some Asian entity, uh, supposedly a Christian organization. And unfortunately it turned out to be a cult and they, um, that's that the sale did not go through. I don't know all the details. I just know it was a really, it was a mess. And the college sat empty for several years. 
The people who bought it, Scott and Joni Crines, um, of 14, I guess 14, they, they renamed it 1440 Multiversity. And I don't know a lot about them. I have met them a couple of times. They were really wonderful people. I think that, I think, I'm guessing they made their money in high tech, but they have poured millions, and I'm millions into that campus, restoring it. They saved the chapel. I, I, and they saved uh, the boys' old dormitory and one of the girls' dormitories. Um, but then they've added things to the dormitory I lived in. They had, had to come down. But um, they've turned it into a retreat center. And if you go online and you look at their website, 1440 Multiversity, you'll see what they've done to it. And every time I'm in Santa Cruz, and it hasn't, I haven't been there the last couple of years, but um, every time I'm there, I drive through. And I've actually stayed there. I uh, reserved a room one night and stayed there just for the fun of it. And it's just, it just, just, I love it. What's interesting and it's kind of sad is that um, the, the, what they, what they're focusing on there, they're focusing on a lot of things. They have um, conferences about leadership. They're focusing on mental health, physical health. They do a lot of yoga. They have all kinds of people who come in. It's just, it's about, it's about balance, a balanced life, a healthy life, um, a good life. And unfortunately, a lot of my, you know, uh, friends from Bethany don't see it. They see it as like a new age type thing. And, and they're really upset by it and, yeah. and think it's sad. And, you know, and I, this is like where you, you know, you talk about, you talk about trying to be in the middle, you know. There, there are people like me. I look at what they've done with 1440, and I think, you know what? I don't know much about Scott and Joni Crines, and I don't have to know. All I know is that God gets his work done on this planet, or her work done on this planet, as he or she pleases through whomever. Yeah. And so when I look at what they're doing at 1440, my heart is warm. First of all, they saved that campus, and that, that ramshackle little Assemblies of God Bible College campus that was literally, I mean, honestly, Chris, I'm not kidding. When I say, you know, it would rain hard in Santa Cruz, the lights would go out. And the, the sewer did back up in the dining commons, at least twice that I remember. I mean, they've never had enough money. In the summer, they didn't know how they'd make payroll. So Capital Christian Center in Sacramento would have to make payroll. It's always been a financial disaster. So when I look at what 1440 has done to save that campus, out of which came so many incredibly wonderful people wonderful people doing incredible things in this world. Um, my heart is filled with joy and gladness and I'm grateful for them. And so yeah. if you ever get a chance to be in Santa Cruz, go through it. I mean, Scott's Valley right outside of Santa Cruz. But I say, God bless Scott and Joni Crines for having, first of all, the money. And secondly, the expertise and the vision to do what they've done. I'm behind them all the way. They saved yeah. my, my, my college campus. It's gorgeous. It is a holy place still. And, and so they, they say the chapel, the chapel is now where they have yoga classes. And I, I love that. But I've got other people who are saying, oh, that's so sad. And it's like, you know, you're in the middle trying to, okay, I love these people. I love my Bethany Bible College friends. Yeah. But I don't agree with them on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, and that's a, I, I've seen that yeah. as well, because I, I firmly believe in mindfulness, uh, I yeah. don't know. Maybe there's some people that practice mindfulness that practice it in a way that I don't. And maybe I wouldn't agree yeah. with it, but it matches up with my Christian faith really, really well. 
when I am present right here in the moment and I'm not busy in my head and I'm focused on breathing, autogenic breathing is what I called it, combat breathing, where you're breathing in for four seconds, you're holding it for four, you're exhaling Mm -hmm. out of your mouth for four, you're holding it. And then I end up mixing in prayer at some point during my meditation or mindfulness where I've, I've now just focused on just sitting in this room and not getting busy with everything. And it ends up being a moment of worship. I remember you talking a little bit about this. I know it wasn't meditation, but you talked about when you went to Schindler's List and sitting in the front row, if I remember correctly, praying in tongues because of the, am, am I remembering this correctly? Or is Chris literal freshman memory no, no, a little off? You're remembering. You're remembering. I know it's going to sound weird to people, but yeah, you're remembering because it was just, I was so moved by that. Yeah. You know, you need to check out 1440 website. You will appreciate the work that they're doing. Yeah. But as you know, I mean, coming from a very, um, you know, conservative, well, for me, conservative Pentecostal background, and that's what Bethany was. It's an Assemblies of God school. Yeah. Um, we had, like I've said, we, we had a lot of very interesting people there. And, you know, the gang of friends that I hung out with, we we did the student newspaper. So, you know, you, you got more, I guess you could say more liberal friends, but I had some very conservative friends in, into ministry, going into becoming pastors with the Assemblies of God. And and I think any denomination has its problems and sometimes they're the same thing. But it's when you get so locked into a certain way of being a Christian and this is the way it is. And I've never understood that. It never worked for me. And I've got wonderful friends from Bethany who went that route. And, you know, that's, that's, they're doing good things, but I just don't think that, you know, I just don't think that way. And that's why, honestly, that's why I thought Northwest, um, Northwest was not always, I mean, I was a theological misfit at Northwest University. I remember you just saying stuff like that. I don't know if you said it that strong, but you definitely alluded to it. I was a theological misfit at Northwest University. and. When I finally left, well, I know that we can edit some stuff and you might want to edit this, but when we finally, when I finally left, I remember I was sitting out at the Houghton Starbucks one day with one of my students. He had, I don't know if he was still at Northwest, but anyway, he was asking me how I, how I felt as I was leaving Northwest. And the words that came out of my mouth surprised even me because I looked at him and I said, I feel like I have spiritual cancer. So in the end, Northwest was not a good place for me. Um, But the reason it was not a good place for me is because I think my particular, who I was, was good for so many of those students. I understood them because of my Bethany experience. And I understood, especially the students who didn't buy in to the Assemblies of God, denominational, devotion i get i got it but in the end that's why i had to leave <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyway and see for a while a, there fpu was my was my chemo yeah fpu was my chemo so was it i like oh, it oh yeah oh yeah spu was my chemo it was i loved seattle i was a, i fit there much more than i ever did in northwest yeah well and that's a good mix for us right you i think uh god's going to put us at places at times to be that uh, that alternative, to be there to connect with 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 other people. I was about to say students because I'm thinking in the educational realm. Uh, 
and and to be their, the, I'm going to go and play on the word here, to be their gravity, right? Because, I mean, I, I grew up in a Baptist background. When I got to Northwest College, I, I literally called uh, my mom, my girlfriend, my youth pastor saying, I don't know what they're doing. I'm scared. Yeah. What, what do I, because there was this huge emphasis yeah. on speaking in tongues. Yeah. And and I had never spoken tongues, and it's not something we exercise in the Baptist church. And yeah. it wasn't something that I disbelieved in. It's just I didn't understand why there was such a huge emphasis on it. Well, I think, I mean, I think, you know, I can only speak about, I went to an Assemblies of God Bible College, and then I taught at an Assemblies of God school for 14 years. And, you know, and I don't know how things have changed since I've been gone from 2008. But my 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 take on it is that it's this whole devotion to a denomination. So an Assemblies of God Bible College existed to support Assemblies of God churches. Assemblies of God Bible Colleges, and that's what Northwest was, just like Bethany in the beginning. The sole purpose in the beginning was to graduate ministers for an Assemblies of God church. And of course, that's not, the world didn't stay that way. So even when I was at Northwest, you know, we had students coming because they needed students. <laughs> so they would admit anybody. And so we had students from all different denominations coming in who didn't have that kind of background yet you go to chapel and it's an assemblies of god chapel service so they didn't want to change and it was weird for a lot of people you know um so i i, I can imagine how you felt i can totally imagine how you felt <laughs> within the uh, baptist church uh, at least in conservative baptist we joke that we're the frozen chosen so like this is worship right here and if we're going to get super crazy we do this oh my gosh Oh, whoa, whoa, settle down. Only yeah. five people can do that at a time. It's getting too exciting, folks, having one hand up in the air. Oh, yeah. And people were dancing. And I mean, this was a, this was a party. I, I don't want to disgrace it by saying a party because I, I, I think the worship was genuine. Uh, yeah. it, there was a lot of energy. That's a good way to say it. There was a lot yeah. of energy in the room and yeah. I wasn't used to having that energy. And so, yeah, I really yeah. felt this is what it did though. And this is where I would challenge folks. Uh, it caused me to reflect on what I believe mm-hmm. and why I believe it. I think it's good to be exposed to other ideas, politically, religiously, regard whatever the idea is culturally. Oh my gosh, my, my military experience, me traveling the world and experiencing other cultures, it gives yeah. you a respect for people yeah. and ideas and it yeah. makes you realize we're not right. Now, I'm going to probably lose about 500 viewers right now by saying this. I love being an American. I'm I'm a patriot. I served in the military. But our way of thinking, it might be right for us, but it's Mm -hmm. not right as in other people should convert to Americanism and do things just like we do it. They have different histories, sometimes thousands and thousands of years of histories that have formed who they are as people and and the way they live life. Um, Just great perspectives, I feel like. All the years that I'm at Seattle Pacific University, they had a great uh, study abroad program. And I would tell every single student that was one of my advisees, if you can possibly do so, make sure that you get a study abroad experience for either a quarter, a whole year, whatever, because you cannot travel. You cannot experience other cultures and and stay the same. It's going to change you forever. And it's going to make you understand the things that you just said. And so, you know, that was part of the reason I had to get it. When I went back to Tennessee, I couldn't do it. So I'd go back to Tennessee and I've got lots of, I've got lots of friends from high school that I'm on Facebook with and some are Democrats, some are Republicans, but honestly, it was the Republicans that did me in 
because it was like these are people in that in that area who had never left. I mean, I don't know, maybe they went to Florida for vacation, but they knew they own, they got t- tunnel vision. This is the world they know. This is the culture they know. And this is what's right. And I just, it blew my mind, you know, and I, I just couldn't do it. So, yeah. but I can imagine, I mean, being in the military and traveling like that. I mean, I wish, I wish every young person growing up in this country could travel in the world and understand yeah. the effect of culture on how people think and how people act. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, until yeah. you're there, you really don't get it. And whether it be joining the military, going on short-term missions trip, or just traveling for leisure. I, I interviewed a young lady. I call her a young lady. She's 29. Uh, she uh, she's going to college in Idaho. She has a a, a, a Fiji Fijian a friend yeah. that says, "Hey, I'm going back to Fiji. You want to come?" And so she yeah. jumps on a plane with 50 bucks in her pocket and a dream, <laughs> and a dream yeah. that she's maybe going to be able to survive when she gets somewhere without a job. Thankfully, she has somewhere to live because of her friend. But just that experience, again, of being in a different culture and having an appreciation for people. We are a diverse America. We, oh, yeah. we, we have a, a, an enormous diversity. Just in my family alone, the diversity of different cultures and backgrounds is, is pretty drastic. And so uh, we want to have a capacity to be able to sit and listen to other ideas. You don't have to agree at the end. Yeah. We don't have to fight though over it either. We can just listen yeah. and love and respect and ah boy, I'm yeah. getting another soapbox here. That's okay. I, I get it. Hey, I uh I saw a couple of things that you and I have uh in relation to each other. And I went hunting before this started to find stuff. So you and I were both lions. I mm-hmm. was a Kinwook lion, you were a red bank lion. Yeah. Um, wow. And then somewhere in there, I found this guy. So when I was uh, uh, at the high school, working at the high school, yeah. I got a hold of all my old colleges because I went to a ton being military and bouncing around. Every time I moved, I had to you know get a new degree plan and start over in some cases. But everyone sent me the pennants because they wanted me to put them up uh, in my office. I also came across my photo album. And in your speech class, uh, I don't remember which speech it was, but one of the speeches uh, I had enough flexibility that I did a speech on a drunk driving program that's supposed to equip high school seniors with don't drink and drive. And uh, I had gotten gone to a, a place uh, and rented this, uh, this black cape costume, and I got all dressed up in it. And it took me, according to my photo album here, it took me 10 minutes to put all the stuff on. And, uh, and I get to class, and that was the day that ca- class was canceled. I don't remember you canceling class very often. Uh, thankfully, the people at the costume uh, place uh, gave it to me again for a different day for free. Uh, but weather, it was just weather. I don't remember. We hardly ever cancel class. Yeah, I have no clue. Uh, I don't remember any classes ever being canceled, but that's what I wrote in the photo. And then I vaguely remember going to the uh, the costume shop saying, hey, here's the deal. I got this for college. For a while. I need it. I needed a different day. Now they're oh, totally keep it. We're not going to charge you more. Good. And then I also saw you you post that you've had some ROTC students. Um, in at, at one of your colleges, is it at Wheaton or was it at a different college? Yeah. And they told you a little bit about these little guys. <laughs> yes. Meals yes. ready to eat. This thing right here has about 2000 calories in it right now. If I opened it and ate it, I think it would probably kill me. Cause it's probably about, oh, 18 years old. Wow. So I'm not going to be opening This one right here is a pasta with Alfredo sauce. Oh, and I'll nothing. tell you what, 
Actually, some of some of this was the vegetarian menu uh, option. The the beef steak was probably the worst. That was the one that you always hoped you didn't get because it was this, uh, I don't know, equivalent to spam stuff posing as meat. And I was like, I don't know if that's safe. Yeah. Um, but when you're super hungry and you're out in a foxhole uh, yeah. in the dirt, right? Yeah. It actually tastes pretty good, believe it or not. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, thank you so much. I don't know what other experiences, what, what do you have going on right now? What, I mean, let's see, Jazzercise 37 years, pole dance. What are you doing next? Are you going to try to get like on a space shuttle and get, you know, launched up into outer space? What does <laughs> De- Debbie, Debbie Pope have going on? Oh, who knows? You know, I never know. It's like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I have never liked the question. Well, nobody asks me this question at this stage of the game, but what is your 10 year plan? Like, you know, I never really knew, knew. So right now, actually, I mean, I'm teaching part-time at Wheaton and I'm also, I've also been substitute teaching in the local high schools, um, which it's not really teaching. I mean, you're kind of like babysitting, but it's been, it's been, it's interesting um, to be surrounded by high school students these days. Um, What am I, what are my plans? I don't know. I haven't even thought about my plans right now. I'm just kind of thinking about thinking this morning. I took my dog to, um, doggy daycare and I dropped him off early and I was driving back and I um I have this picture of Bethany Bible College Chapel that hangs up here on my wall um the Craig it was called Craig Craig Memorial Chapel I and saw a picture a, of it on Facebook yeah yeah and I've been I, I picked up my print of, several years ago and I've had it really professionally framed it's hanging right there and every time I look at it I think about the wonderful people I met at Bethany and so recently I've had um, the guy who sells them really cut the price on them. They were too expensive to do this a couple of years ago, but I've sent out, I've, I've, I probably purchased about maybe 30 copies. No. Yeah. Maybe 30 copies or 31 copies. And I've been sending them, having, he send them out to different friends, my, you know, my really close friend group and other, other people. And they've been sending me messages. You know, oh, this is so great. Cause you know, it's gone. Bethany is gone. Um, but I was driving back this morning and I was thinking about, you know, Bethany a lot. And I just posted something on Facebook and one of my high school friends from Red Bank High School had commented, maybe you saw it about, you know, how he enjoyed these things. And I thought about writing more about it. And I thought about doing that. I thought about sitting down finally, now that I don't have a ton of papers to grade, like I always did in Northwest, and I don't have any English classes right now, and just sitting down and really trying to do something with that. Um, I did do the, I mean, I did the MFA program in creative writing at Seattle Pacific University. Um, so I thought maybe I should try to do something with that at this point. So I may try to do that. That's what I'm thinking about this morning. Because there are a lot of stories. There are a lot of stories from that place. Yeah. That would it be, about. would it be almost like a, uh, like, would it be fiction, nonfiction? So would you use the place oh. and then create events from there? Or would no, no, no. It, it, it would be nonfiction. I can't imagine like trying fiction. I don't know how people do that. You know, yeah. I, I, you read John Irving's A Prayer for Owen Meany. I don't know how he did that, but it's my other all-time favorite book. But no, it would just be a more, more like a memoir, I guess. Because the thing is, I mean, this is true for everybody. You carry around a world in your head. And when you die, nobody's going to know about that world unless yeah. you tell about that world. It's like I have one sister. And, you know, we have 
we grew up in the same house. We've got, she had the same teachers that I had in elementary school up until like fifth grade or sixth grade. We had some of the same teachers in junior high and high school. We share, we share experiences that no two other people on the planet share. And, you know, at this stage, I'm 67. Okay. And I'm, you know, I hope to live until I'm 90, but who knows, or a hundred, but you know, I'm going to be gone and, and everybody dies. My dad died in 85 and 85, was it 85? No, I've forgotten now. Isn't that terrible? But it's like you die and people forget you and the world that you knew and the experiences you had and the people that you knew, it's gone. So I thought I need to get some of this down in paper for somebody. (laughs) Because There's some great stories in there. So I think that's what I'm going to try to do. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Obviously, some of my uh, some of today came from me trolling Facebook, but some of it didn't. Some of it came from English 101. Some yeah. of it came from speech class. The stories you told, the way you brought those classes to life, is is still stories that are in my head. Stories I've shared some of these with my students as yeah. I teach leadership, as I've been in the high school, as I do public speaking. I uh, some of these stories are still stories that I share. So I guarantee that I'm not this one off. I guarantee there's probably a lot of us out there that were Debbie Pope students that are sharing this. I, I really look at um, people that are willing to, to sit down and, and to, to do their, their a biography or to do these stories of their life. I see it as a gift because you're right. It, all this experience, when, when we pass away, it's yeah. just gone. But when we get it down on paper, it's a gift that that people can go back to and and, and yeah. continue to, to learn from, from our life experience. Well, you just said something that made me think of something. Um, <clears throat> how do I say this? It's like, there are people who have impacted my life in major ways. Interestingly, Maybe perhaps because of the time I grew up in, they're all men. There weren't many women. Who, there were no women. Um, but Dick Foth was the president of Bethany Bible College. My first year was his first year. Doctor, well, he's now a doctor. I don't think he was a doctor then. But Dr. Richard Foth, um, one of the best communicators I have ever heard in my entire life. And if you want to check him out, you can listen to any of his sermons. Just Google him and just sit down and listen to him. I think he's a teaching pastor now. He's, I'm sure he's semi-retired, but he's a teaching pastor at, at his, in Colorado somewhere. But Dick Foth, Richard Foth. But um, anything I learned about storytelling and about public speaking, I learned from listening to Richard Foth, Dick Foth, for those four years as a student and a fifth year as an employee at Bethany Bible College. So he's, I carry around Dick Foth inside of me. But the other two people who impacted me at uh, Bethany Bible College were Stan Stewart, the theology professor, and Dr. Bobo. And so I always, I always, before I'd start a new class, maybe sometimes I said this in class, but sometimes I just said it to myself. I teach in the name of Stan Stewart and Truett Bobo because they taught me about teaching and they changed my life. Okay. Uh, the this, this, this statement that Stan, Stan Stewart made in ethics class one day, we're having some discussion about some big ethical dilemma. And he, you know, and with this, with these conservative assemblies of God kids, and some of them wanted to, you know, got black and white answers for everything and others didn't, you know, and Stan, Stan said, he simply said, I would rather err on the side of grace than law. 
And that statement has marked me forever. So I carry around Stan Stewart in my head. And Dr. Bobo, <laughs> Dr. Bobo was this, you know, wonderfully modulated voice, very calm. And sometimes we'd be talking about things that nobody could under understand. And he would go, it's fifth dimension. <laughs> and so I teach in the name of those three people. And then I got to Wheaton College and Dr. Robert Weber um, blew my mind. And I teach in the name of Dr. Robert Weber, who introduced me to the Episcopal Church. And Dr. Walter Elwell was my theology professor, photographic memory, who pushed my car through snow one day when it broke down. And so the thing is, when I would go into a classroom, when I went into your speech class, it wasn't just me impacting you. It was Richard Foth. It was Stan Stewart. It was Dr. Bobo. It was Walter Elwell. It was Dr. Robert Weber. You don't know these people. But you carried them around inside of you because they marked me. And so the thing is, it's just this wonderful ongoing impact all of us have on other people. And that's what I just love about it. I don't know. I'm, I'm meandering now. But there you go. I just introduced you to some people you've never known, but you should. because they're I, wrote in. Down, I wrote down some of their names here, and I just wasn't yeah. sure how I was going to loop them in. I had Dr. Uh, Dick Foth written here, and I just wasn't sure how to get back to Bethany. And you took us there just now, so I'm super happy. But you got sharing that. Dr. Weber's gone, and Dr. Well, he's, he died several years back. Dr. Elwell is retired. Um, Stan, Stan, Stan Stewart is uh, preach. He's got a, a, a church. I'm pretty sure it's Assemblies of God in uh, Las Vegas. Google him; you can find him. Um, I forget who else I talked about. Dr. Bobo's retired. Okay. But anyway, you can listen to Richard Foth, Nick Foth. He's great. I love it. Hey, I have beautiful little ladies in the other room that I should probably get to here on this Saturday and love on a little bit. Uh, time, time is probably my most challenging commodity. And so when people give me theirs, it means the world to me. And uh, just the flood of memories that have come back in this this hour long conversation is such a gift. So, Miss Pope, thank you so much. Uh, this is this is a gift. Uh, thank you. I have one thing to say. You're so funny when you say Miss Pope. I just got a Facebook message from Doctor Bobo because I sent him a copy of the chapel, Craig Chapel, and he signed it, "Love Truett." And I cannot call him through it. It's always, he will always be Dr. Bobo. So I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you call me Debbie, but I'm, I get it. Chris, thank you. I love your Facebook posts. Your family is beautiful. And it's just, I love it. Very inspiring when you, when you post. So keep it up and God well, bless. God bless you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what did you think of me and Miss Pope's conversation? I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, all kinds of things that I got out of this. Uh, hey, we would like to hear from you. Jamie and I constantly want to know how we're doing. There's a few different ways you can do this. If you're consuming this on an Apple podcast platform, you can actually go to the main Two Feet on the Ground Gravity podcast page. Scroll down to the bottom. There's five stars down there. We would really appreciate if you would consider giving us a five-star rating that will increase our viewability on the Apple platform. If you're consuming this on another uh, platform, follow us, share it with a friend. If it's on Facebook, you can like it, you can comment on it. Uh, please let us know what you think. Shoot us an email at chris at gravityct.com. Uh, let us know how we're doing on these podcasts. Give us ideas for future topics on Marriage Mondays or future guests 
for me to interview. Hey folks, as Miss Pope said, I teach and I speak in the name of Debbie Pope. Uh, she has impacted me that much and taught me that much about, uh, about teaching and about speaking. Uh, find those people in your life that are going to help you maintain perspective in a crazy, chaotic world. Folks, go and love on the people uh, that you consider your loved ones. Have a remarkable day. Thank you.